Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 144. Dame time in Indy for the All-Star Game. Are we going to get our reverse home run derby that we talked about on Friday? Maybe. As good as Dame has looked all year, unfortunately, it was in a three-point shooting contest and in an All-Star Game that featured less defense than we saw with the Bucks in the Adrian Griffin era, but... Perhaps this will be a watermark where he turns his season around. That would be great. We're going to talk a lot about that All-Star Weekend. Shaq had some words for Dame in the post-game celebration yesterday as well as it relates to the Bucks and being 3-7 and seven under Doc Rivers. We did not talk about on Friday the Danilo Gallinari signing. We'll spend a little bit of time on that. No Daytona yesterday. We'll ring that back as well. And college hoops over the weekend. I hope Iowa Andy's happy. I hope Andy and Iowa and all the other Des Moines folks are happy with how that Iowa Badger game broke down on Saturday. Ugly day in college hoops between that and Mark getting their doors blown off at UConn. We'll break a little bit of that down. Hopefully both teams can bounce back early this week. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's hard! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center! Snap. He looks, he throws, it's a And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a tentacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, I hope everybody out there had a good weekend. I was covering some college basketball on Saturday and then Sunday. Our niece Lillian, my wife Lindsay and I, our niece Lillian on her side, had a birthday party. Three years old for little Lillian. Shout out to Lillian. She's getting less and less scared of me. It's getting a little bit better every time. I was allowed to read her a story on Thanksgiving. That was a big step in our relationship. She wasn't staying away from me with a 10-foot pole, the scary guy with the big red beard. We're getting better. We're making progress. You know what kind of a birthday party it was, too? It's amazing how these things are just cyclical from when I was a kid to coming all the way back now. Like Ninja Turtles are back. I used to play with Ninja Turtles all the time. Wrestling's always been popular. I don't know if He-Man is ever going to make a comeback. That was a big one when I was a kid, too. But trolls, remember trolls in the mid-90s? I remember in third or fourth grade, so we're talking 1993, 94, trolls had a big run. And all they were were the collectible little, I hesitate to even call them action figures because there was no action to them. They were kind of weird too, right? They made erasers out of them and then the eraser end went in their bum. (laughs) I mean, remember? That was a thing. That was a real thing. I'm not hallucinating that. That was a real thing that happened. They were just trolls, though, and they had little jewels on them and the different colored hair and the tie-dye hair, and they all looked the same and stood the same, and none of them had clothes. I don't know why that was a thing either. Can anybody explain that? Now they're different. Now that they've come back, there's movies. Justin Timberlake is voicing a troll now, from what I understand. There's a trilogy of movies. They're singing. They're dancing. They've got their own names and identities, and they're wearing pants. 
which is a huge upgrade. Just amazing to me how that stuff just always comes back every 15 or 20 years. Then it'll go away for a while, and then in 20 years, trolls will be back. There are about eight things in the world, and they all rotate on coming back every 10 to 15 years. But that was a lot of fun. She had a lot of a lot of fun, and at three years old now, you know, starting to have a personality, and it's a lot of fun to watch her develop and have a good time. And it was it was a blast. There was a microphone too. There was a live mic at this <laughs> at this birthday party. I stayed away from it. First time in my life, I've stayed away from a live mic. But that brought those kids, all of her friends and her, a lot of joy being able to hear themselves on a microphone. Just wait till you're paid minimum wage for it, kids. <laughs> Just wait until you're trying to make pennies on the dollar on a podcast. Won't be so fun then. And Iowa Andy's chirping you because Iowa beat Wisconsin. Not having a good time now, are we? All right, let's start at the start with the All-Star game. Let's hope what we talked about on Friday comes to fruition. Remember, we went over on Friday. We were praying for or hoping for a reverse home run derby for Dame in the three-point shooting contest. Because as we went over, Dame, it's been a little bit of a letdown. Not a bust. But it's been a little bit of a letdown, and a part of that has been Dame's inconsistencies shooting. I also had a conversation with somebody over the weekend at one of the games I was covering. We were talking about this and the three-point shooting contest and how it has been a bit of a letdown for Dame. There is a chance this is just Dame, and we've seen more bad than good, but he could just be a streaky shooter. I Like we said when they acquired Dame, I know of Dame, and uh, we've all wanted him and a player like that to be paired with Giannis. But like I said when they acquired Dame when we did the emergency podcast— I didn't watch a lot of Portland Trailblazers games. I mean, most of them start at 9 o'clock or 9.15 or 9.30 Central Time. I was aware when the Bucks played the Trailblazers or if they were in the playoffs, you'd watch a Trailblazers game and see him hit walk-off winners. Most of my knowledge of Dame, I guess, comes from highlights, which are not going to be showing you a lot of the missed shots. So now the more I'm talking this through, maybe that is a part of my problem. He could have been a very streaky shooter, which is what we've seen in Milwaukee so far. He could have been that in Portland, and we just didn't really know it. He's been more cold than hot. I mean, we can look at the career percentages, the year-by-year, what he shot from the field, what he shot from beyond the arc, and you can surmise just looking at that, it's been a down year. 34% shooting from beyond the arc is a down year. But the conversation I was having with this guy at the basketball game I was covering on Saturday did make me think, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, this this could be him. We're used to Giannis and the consistency of Giannis. And maybe a player who's bigger and is scoring at the rim, that lends itself to being more consistent and not having those really off-shooting nights because he's shooting a lot of the time, two or three feet from the basket. Having another player the caliber of Dame, but being a guard and a guy who is reliant on his jump shot going down, we haven't had that in a while. Middleton's been pretty consistent in his career, too. He's gone through his lulls, but for the most part, this shows you how good he's been over the course of 10 years or 11 years now in Milwaukee, where his shots fall down more often than not. This could just be Dame, and he's going to have weeks where he shoots 60% and weeks where he shoots 35%, and that just could be his MO, and we're experiencing it for the first time because we're actually sitting down and watching all of the games. And our expectations are because we saw the highlights in Portland and not the lowlights in Portland. That could be a thing. I had not thought of that until we dove into this conversation. It's the benefit of being unprepared for your podcast. Sometimes you stumble on something. But he, hopefully, we were hoping for just being in the three-point shooting contest and defending his title there and seeing the ball go through the basket consistently over the course of the weekend, even though it's not a game situation and certainly not a regular season game situation with the defense we saw played last night in the All-Star game. Just seeing the ball go through the net a lot maybe spins him in the right direction. He is able to defend his title, and he wins the three-point shooting contest, and he eliminated Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers on his home floor. The All-Star game was in Indy, and we've been over this burgeoning, 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 
We'll get the pronunciation from that on Google. We'll answer that in later. Well, we've talked about this rivalry now that has been going on between the Bucks and the Pacers, and it kind of seemed like when Dame was able to eliminate Tyrese Halliburton from the three-point shooting contest, it kind of seemed like that was personal. You could tell there was a little bit of attitude here. Hold on, let's go. Burgeoning. Burgeoning. That's what we wanted. Burgeoning. Okay, thank you. The burgeoning rivalry between between the Pacers and Bucks. You could tell when he was able to eliminate Halliburton, though, in that first round. There was a little something extra on that when Dame was able to accomplish that. He gets to the finals, and he wins it by hitting or scoring 26 points in the three-point shooting contest to get a second straight trophy. That in and of itself made me excited. Okay, now this is potentially the reverse home run derby situation we talked about where home run hitters, when they go through the derby, they'll tell you in the second half of the year or in the immediacy after the Major League Baseball All-Star game, you see a dip in power because they're swinging out of their shoes for 10 minutes at a clip in the home run derby, and they don't know how to get their swing back. They don't know how to get back to where it was timed before the home run derby. That's why a lot of power hitters are reluctant to do the home run derby, and a lot of fans of power hitters are reluctant to see their favorite players in the home run derby, knowing that a lot of them suffer from that two- to three-week dip after the derby's done. I was hoping for the reverse. We're not going to know if that happens until we get back to actual regular season action on Friday in Minnesota. But his performance then in the All-Star game was also encouraging. Dame started knocking down shots almost immediately, and he had two shots last night. I've never seen this. I have never seen, and we've seen Steph Curry shoot from the logo. We've seen Dame shoot from the logo. But that's still about five feet or six feet inside the half-court line. Dame was taking and hitting last night. set shots from the half-court line. I'm not talking about half-court heaves that you see at the end of a half or at the end of a quarter at the end of a game. He literally set his feet and shot it like it was a free throw, and he hit him. Here is good old Brian Anderson, Brewers Brian Anderson on the call. On- that was the Motor Speedway flat tire. Oh, my. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? Did you see that? Lillard. At the NBA All-Star game for Carl. Here's another one. And Dame shooting from half court as well. It's (laughs) unbelievable where he was hitting from at the All-Star game on Sunday. And he ends up scoring 39 points. And then he does win the MVP of that game. And again, Tyrese Halliburton was in the running for that. He hit shots late for the Eastern Conference, too. And the Indiana crowd wanted Tyrese Halliburton, their guy, to win the MVP. And with that burgeoning rivalry between the Bucks and Pacers, the last guy they wanted to see take it from Halliburton was Dame Lillard. So Dame got booed. Dame got the All-Star Game MVP and got booed. Brian, MVP trophy goes to Damian Lillard. Giannis is laughing. I mean, they really boo. 39 points, and he had 11 threes, 11 of 22 or whatever it was, 11 of 23 on the night. Now, you combine his performance in the three-point shooting contest with his performance in the All-Star game and seeing that basketball go through the net the way it was, let's hope, let us pray that we see a hot streak from Dame when they resume play on Friday. Now, with that said, I don't know how many people watched the end of the broadcast. They had Dame on the TNT broadcast with his MVP trophy. And Shaq went big brother mode, talking about the Bucks, talking about him and Giannis, talking about how it's been a lackluster first half, especially three and seven under Doc. And Shaq says this, he prefaces this by saying, I'm going to give you the big brother advice right now. And he basically tells Damon Giannis they need to figure it out. Hold on, here we go. Do we have it? 
Oh, we gotta turn the mic. Oh, you got. You know what? It's all these buttons. You have to turn them on, John. You gotta hit the on button. There's a lot of technology involved in radio these days, but you must hit the on well, button. I don't have any questions. I'm gonna give you some <laughs> advice because I'm your big brother. Yeah. I've been in the position you've been in before. Kenny's been in that position before. You and Giannis are being too nice. Yeah. When it all is said and done, it don't work out. Three people gonna get blamed. Doc, you and Giannis. So you and Giannis gotta make sure the troops get it done. There's no reason, but the Doc being there, y'all should be three and seven. That right there is unheard. So, y'all, so when you get back, you're going to have to grab some people by the necks and say, hey, this is what I need you to do. So, you're right. that's my gotcha. advice to you, young brother. And uh, Dame seemed like he was accepting that criticism from Shaq. Shaq really is kind of the godfather now, isn't he? Like the Marlon Brando character of the NBA. He does that a lot, and it happens in post games after the nationally broadcast TNT games on Tuesdays and Thursdays, where he'll compliment a guy, but he'll also be critical. That's what we love about the NBA on TNT. Not only the relationship harvested between. Kenny and Shaq and and Barkley where they can talk trash with each other and poke fun at each other and everybody's very loose. It is, in my opinion, the best sports pre- or post-game show out there right now, and I would watch those guys do any sports pre- and post-game show. If you made an NFL pre- and post-game show with them, I'd watch it. I'd watch it for baseball. I'd watch it for soccer. I'd watch it for anything. That's how good they are. But a part of why they are good is that, too, that you see them be critical of NBA players, whereas a lot of other people out there, broadcasters, weak-spined broadcasters, jellyfish broadcasters like myself, if I had the opportunity to interview a player like Dame, like many broadcasters, they're, oh, you're so, God, I love you. You're so good at everything. I love you. You don't really get into a lot of criticism, but he can because Shaq has the resume. He's one of the all-time greats. He's got the rings. And he can say pretty much whatever he wants, and they have to take it in stride. Dame really looked like he was accepting that conversation of him and Giannis are being too nice, maybe to the other players on the team and to each other. And we talked about this on Friday. So many times in this first half, through 57 games, we've seen Dame wide open for a three, not take the shot. We've seen him be wide open and could have gotten a look, and somebody isn't passing the ball. Brooke or Giannis, maybe they don't see him. Dame being able to drive inside. Looks like he's going to get set for a jumper close to the rim. He passes it to the outside. He has been far too passive. And one thing that was highlighted, again, in an exhibition with no defense on Sunday, but when Dame was pumping those threes in, the offense was running through him. And I think still we're at a timeshare between him and Giannis of the offense filtering through them. I think what we have to get to here is Dame has to be the alpha. We kind of talked about that on Friday. I don't know that Giannis, Giannis has an ego, of course. Any player of his caliber who's won at the level he's won at with a title and the finals MVP and the two-time MVPs and the defensive player of the year and from where he's come from, of course he has an ego. I still think at the end of the day, though, Giannis, he's won all the personal accolades. I think he is on record at this point as saying, I just want more rings. I just want to get as many rings as possible to bring them back to Milwaukee, to add to this team's legacy, to add to my own legacy. I think that's what ultimately has to happen. We'll see if it does. I don't know if there's a power struggle there where Giannis is saying, no, I'm the man. I'm not going to, Dame's not going to come in here and be the man. I'm going to be the man. I just don't know that through 57 games with all of the coaching changes, and Giannis kind of talked about that during his pre-All-Star game press conferences too, that it's been tough. They had Bud, then they had AG, then they had Prunt Dog. He didn't call him Prunt Dog. And now they've got Doc, and it's been hard to in- to bring your mind around all of the different philosophies and schemes on each end and what each coach is demanding of them. Maybe now with Doc installed as the guy for the next couple of years, he can navigate this in the second half, and we can get to a point where Dame is the 1A and Giannis is the 1B. I think that's the way this team wins a title, honestly. I think they can win a title with Giannis as the 1A, but they don't have as good of odds as if they make Dame 
the guy who runs and triggers everything offensively, initiates everything offensively, is shooting without hesitation, which he is not doing right now and has not really done through 57 games. I believe that that's sort of what Shaq is hinting at there too. Like, you guys got to figure this out, but you've got to be the guy that the offense is running through. Have you seen the stats when he scores 25 points? Now, the shooting hasn't been great. He's averaging a tick under 25 points per game. The Bucks have a 780, 780 winning percentage when Dame scores 25 points or more. When he scores below 25 points, and that could be 24, 23, I mean, it could be a point below. They are 10 and 15 when he scores below 25 points. If this means that Giannis has to shave a couple of points per game off of his 31-point-per-game total, but it's for the better good, I believe Giannis will do that as long as it makes sense, as long as it's explained to him properly that this is what we have to do to win a title. That's the number, though. The numbers don't lie. When Dame scores 25 or more, this team wins eight times out of ten, basically, and when he doesn't, they are five or six games below 500. That is the threshold. This is like, what was the threshold for the Brewers last year where they scored whatever four runs a game and they won basically 1,000% of the time, and when they were below that, they had a winning percentage of 210? That's the same thing. It's very similar. When Dame hits that 25-point threshold, this team wins, and when he doesn't, they do not win very often which, again, is more evidence to I think we need to see in the second half. If this team is going to make a legit run, we have to see more Alpha Dame. That's what we have to see heading into the second half. We also can touch real quick on Danilo Gallinari. We did not talk about that on Friday. I think they signed him late Thursday. They had an open roster spot. He's a veteran. I'm not sure what he's really going to give you off the bench. This team does need bench scoring, and they do need help off their bench. He was in Detroit, the worst team in the league by a mile. He is getting up there now, 36 years old or 37 years old. There's an onion headline. I forget what it is. As somebody who's going to turn 40 in June, you talk about that and really not being that old in terms of human years, but then you hear about, well, he's basically a dead person at 37 years old. How is he accomplishing this at 34 years old, the ripe age of 33 years old? But Danilo, I think, is 37 years old now, and he had a nice run in his career. He spent a lot of time in New York scoring almost 20 points per game there. He had very good years in Denver scoring almost 20 points per game there. We remember him with the Atlanta Hawks at the tail end of his career. He was in that Eastern Conference Finals matchup, averaging 14 points a game against the Bucs in 2020-2021. And he spent another year there, I think, before ultimately ending up in OKC for half a year. And then now Detroit is his most recent stop. He'll be excited to get on a computer competing team like any veteran who has seen success who has been on playoff teams who has been knocking on the door of the finals and then you're with an eight win Detroit team he will be very excited I am sure to get to an NBA contender what he gives you I don't don't know I don't know he's shooting 33 percent from beyond the arc this year he has in his career and he is a career 38 percent three-point shooter which is pretty good very good He is not a good defender. He does not move quickly, and that was even when he was in his athletic prime, which he is not now. You might look at that signing and say, oh, good, another 6'10", big who can't move and doesn't play defense for the Bucs. That's probably a fair assessment on some level, but they are looking for a bit of a scoring punch off the bench. You've got Bobby, who's given you 12 or 13 a game, but the bench has been thin. A.J. Green's been coming on. Connaughton really hasn't given you a ton this year in terms of points per game. They need a little bit more off the bench. He is going to be the 12th or 13th guy. How many minutes he'll see? He was playing 13 or 14 minutes a night in Detroit, and if that's all you're hacking in Detroit, I don't know how many minutes you're ultimately going to see in Milwaukee. As we've been over, though, 
Doc is one of those coaches who will always err on the side of playing a veteran over a young player. I would expect he'll get minutes above Marjan Bochamp and Andre Jackson Jr. Maybe not A.J. Green at this point. He seems to be working his way into the Doc good graces by continuing to knock down shots and being a pretty sturdy on-ball defender. Gallinari, maybe he can give you 10 minutes a night and hit a couple of threes, and on a random night he gets hot, or on a load management night he'll get 20 or 25 and give you 15 points off the bench. They do bring him in, though, that official on Friday, and I would guess he'll join the team right away on this coming Friday as they get set to begin the second half, and they'll begin it in a tough environment against a team vying for the one seed in the Western Conference. That will be in Minnesota Friday night on ESPN, a 9 o'clock tip time. But that wraps up All-Star Weekend. Mac McClung won the slam dunk competition, right? I did not stay up for that. I don't know who won the skills competition. Overall, though, a pretty fun weekend it looked like in Indianapolis, in snowy Indianapolis, which was was not a favorite, I don't think, of some of the NBA legends that were there that would have preferred to probably be in a warmer environment. I did see reports. Chris Haynes of ESPN finally reported that the Bucks have put in a bid to maybe host the All-Star Game in 2028-2029. It's amazing that has not been a bigger part of the conversation yet. When they got the new arena, I thought that was a natural. Remember when Miller Park was built? A part of that was that the Brewers would get an All-Star Game, and they did basically right away. It opened in 2001. They had the All-Star Game in 2002. Fiserv's been around now for six or seven or maybe more, eight years, and there hasn't even been a wisp of them maybe hosting an All-Star game. Well, according to that report, the bid is in, and I would expect, given the fact that Giannis is there, international superstar, will Dame still be there in 2028? I have no idea. I guess you could make a fair question whether Giannis will be. I think he will be. You've got that. You've got this team that won the title that is constantly competing for a title or in the running for that in the new arena and the buildup around that area with the Deer District. I would think they're going to get it in 2028 or 2029. That was something, though, when I saw they were in India, I thought, God, why is Milwaukee with the new arena? You understand in the Bradley Center era, even though I think the Bradley Center at one point hosted an all-star game, you sort of understood then why they would not be in the running for that kind of attention. But when I saw India, I thought, Oh, if Indy could host it, you would think that at some point Pfizer Forum would have it. And then that report came out maybe on Friday or Saturday that they are going to put a bid in for either the 2028 or 2029 NBA All-Star game. All right, let's talk. We're not going to have a ton here today, honestly. Let's talk about college basketball over the weekend. I hope Iowa Andy's satisfied with what happened on Saturday. My buddy Pat in the group text after they lost that game, the Badgers lost at Iowa in overtime. Had a, what, 12 or 13-point lead in the first half. Had a six-point lead at halftime. Had a lot of late leads close. Couldn't hang on to them. Couldn't get a rebound. Couldn't knock down a shot. Couldn't knock down free throws. What was the free throw percentage? This is that time of year, man, where you're going to see teams in the, in the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournaments. Free throws will make or break you. The Badgers lost by two. And they were 19 of 28, 67% on free throws. You make a couple more of those, and you probably win by a point or two in regulation. They could not, though. And they had a run where they missed maybe four in a row at a critical juncture in the game late second half. Goes to overtime. Iowa gets the late lead and hangs on 88 to 86. With the loss, the Badgers are 17 and 9, 9 and 6 in Big Ten play. But my buddy Pat texted me, remember we said about a week ago, when I was talking about all the Greg Gard haters and how they were flying off the handle and talking about how this team is one and done in the tournament, if they even make the tournament, I said to relax, this team is going to the NCAA tournament or I will eat my hat. I will consume the hat on my head. That's getting a little tense. Pat said, I'm not worried. I'm not totally worried about you having to eat a hat, but I'm not not worried about it for you at this point. And I would file myself in that same area. Look, they're still tied for third place in the Big Ten. They are still pacing for 20 wins. If we look at their schedule, I'll tell you when I'll get really concerned. I will be concerned on Wednesday morning if they lose at home to Maryland on Tuesday. 
Maryland is a little above 500. They're not all that great this year. That's one you've got to get. I assume the Badgers with that loss are going to be out of the top 25. Although I thought they would be, I think last week at this time, I said that exact same thing, and they hung around at number 20. You get the win against Ohio State, you lose at Iowa, a team hovering around 500. I think they're probably out or at number 25 when the new rankings come out today. They have Maryland at home. That has to be a win. If they lose to Maryland at home and they fall to 17-10, and 9-7 and 7 in the Big Ten, then I'm starting to get concerned. They have, for the remainder of the regular season, they have a home game against Maryland at Indiana. They beat Indiana pretty soundly at the Cole Center. It's very difficult to go on the road then and beat that team later in the year. I would not count that as a win. They are at home against number 14, Illinois. They may move up in the rankings today. They are at home against Rutgers. They lost at Rutgers early this year, and they wrap up at number two, Purdue. Purdue, who lost to unranked Ohio State with an interim head coach on Sunday. It is impossible to win on the road in college basketball. The numbers this year are absurd, if you've seen them, and I'm, I'm just pulling from the recesses of my brain here. Don't quote me on this. Something like 35% of the home underdogs when a ranked team comes in to play an unranked team. So you are the home team as the unranked team. They're winning outright something like 35% or more than that or 40% on the year. Saw that with Ohio State yesterday, winning at home by four against number two Purdue. Sometimes not to that level, but if you're the home team taking on the 20th ranked team in the country, like Iowa got to win. It is just insanely difficult to bet on college basketball in general, but especially this year, it feels like you've got a lot of home dogs that are eight or nine point underdogs that are not only covering, they are winning outright. Badgers have Maryland at the Cole Center on Tuesday. Looking at those five games, Maryland has to be a win. Rutgers has to be a win at home after you lost there earlier this year, got your break speed off. I would assume there will be a get back there at home. So that at minimum, let's assume you lose everything else. You lose at Indiana. You lose at home to a top 15 Illinois team. And, of course, you lose at whatever they're going to be when the new rankings come out today, number three or number four, number three probably, Purdue. Assuming you go two and three down the stretch, you would be 19 and 12, hmm, 11 and nine in the Big Ten. Yeah, it could get close, guys, because if you if that's how it breaks – Let's hope you get if you get if you go three and two in these final five games and you finish twenty and eleven and you get to twelve conference wins and you're twelve and what would you be then? Eight in conference. Then regardless of what happens in the Big Ten tournament, I think they are in, no pun intended, with regardless. But if they do only go two and three in the final five games and they are nineteen and twelve and only a two games over five hundred in conference, and then they get bounced maybe in the first matchup in the Big Ten tournament, yeesh. Then we are. Then we're going to be doing some legitimate research. Can I pan fry this hat? Is that a possibility? Put some flour and some, put some flour and some allspice on there. Some Montreal steak seasoning. Some Old Bay on this bad boy. Dip it in some kind of Chipotle ranch. Yeah, that would be. I think you'd be getting close. Then if you finish this last five game stretch two and three, and then you're out in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. If they finish two and three and they win their first Big Ten tournament game, they'll be in. But we are starting to walk a line now where I agree with Pat's assessment on the group text of might be getting a little close. The other college basketball game over the weekend was another bad game and worse than in terms of entertainment value than the Badger-Iowa game. The number four team in the country, Marquette at number one UConn, just got their doors blown off. 81-53, to this was never a game after the first five minutes. That UConn crowd was electric. They're the defending champions. They're the number one team in the country for a reason. It was just a tidal wave of excellent shooters and the crowd going bananas the entire time, and the Golden Eagles just couldn't get on track in any facet of the game. It shows you how big the gap is. 
I expect that Marquette will play better at home. This is college basketball. Of course, you're always going to be better as the home team. We do see that rematch on Wednesday, March 6th. I don't think I would take the Marquette Golden Eagles to win that game. I do not think they'll lose by 28 or at times be down by as many as 30 or 32 in that home game. It does show you, though, how big that gap was between number one and number four. We kind of talked about that on Friday when you went from number one UConn to Purdue to Houston and then Marquette with five losses was sitting at number four. You kind of wonder about what is the gap there between the top team and the number four team. Well, we saw it on Saturday. Marquette wasn't even in the same universe. We'll see if they can turn that about. They did have an eight-game winning streak going into that game. That gets broken up. They are sitting at 19-6, and 10-4 in Big East play. And they get a run now of home games. They've got a bad DePaul team at the at Pfizer Forum on Wednesday. I almost said the Bradley Center. I got Bradley Center on the brain after the All-Star Game conversation. They've got a bad DePaul team at Pfizer on Wednesday. They've got Xavier, Xavier at home on Sunday, this coming Sunday. They're still at home next Wednesday with Providence looking for a get back there after losing badly at Providence earlier this year. Then they're at number 17, Creighton, at home against number one, UConn, and they end their year on March 9th at Xavier. They're looking like they're going to be a 23-ish win team and likely a two-seed. I haven't seen bracketology yet today. If they would have won that game on Saturday, and again, I don't even if it's not worth even really discussing because it wasn't even close. They weren't even in the same stratosphere as number one UConn on Saturday. Had they won that game, maybe you could build a case for Marquette, at least today, being a one seed on the most recent bracketology. I would think they're going to stay on that two line, though, when that comes out today. And they'll stay. What else happened in behind them? I would think they're going to stay five-ish, maybe six-ish. We had, yeah, North Carolina won, Arizona. Yeah, not a lot of teams behind them lost. So, yeah, Marquette could fall a spot or two in the new top 25s come out later today. That was ugly on Saturday. Hopefully they can get things turned around again. DePaul is a terrible team. They are at Pfizer Forum, 8 p.m. tip time on Wednesday. And then finally today, again, kind of a short podcast today. By the way, we're going to do some housekeeping at the end of this when we wrap up this Brewer conversation. I have some vacation coming up, so it's going to kind of change the schedule here a little bit. Brewers reported to camp. We still have no idea what's going on with Gary Sanchez. He is not at camp, and Blake Snell is not at camp. They haven't signed him either yet. And we just don't know what's going on there. The reporters that are in Maryvale, that are in Phoenix right now, can't seem to extract any kind of information on that outside of the one day a couple of Wednesdays ago where they said they, being the John Heymans and the Passons of the world, were saying it was a done deal. One year, $7 million deal for Gary Sanchez. And we went over all the positives of it, how it bolsters the lineup. Maybe it gets them in a situation where Blake Snell's looking around for a team in a week or two. And he wants to go play with the catcher he won a Cy Young with last year. Maybe that's in play as well. But at this point, Gary Sanchez isn't even on the team. Remember, that was my whole that was the whole procedure. Step A, sign Gary Sanchez, put Gary Sanchez in a Brewer jersey. Number two, part B, bring in Blake Snell. Well, we thought we had Gary Sanchez, but so far nothing has come to fruition there, and we have not had any confirmation as to whether or not he's actually going to be in camp at any point this week. Maybe there will be some answers there at some point as the practices wear on. But we do have a little bit of news with Sal Fralick. He is apparently learning from the old Red Sox second baseman Dustin Pedroia how to play infield. And then videos came out after that report came out on The Athletic last weekend or on Saturday or I think it was Saturday morning. Then we saw a video of him at camp taking ground balls at third base. 
we've been over this log jam of young outfielders the Brewers have with Freelick, with Churio now in the mix with the huge contract he signed and likely to be on the opening day roster. You've got Joey Weimer, who showcased excellent defense last year and a great mullet. He can hit from he can hit against is it he can hit against lefties or he can hit against righties but can't hit against the other one. I think he can hit against lefties. He cannot hit against righties at least at this point in his career. But you love his defense and he does have a ton of power if he can ever figure out those splits and get those more equal. He would be a very dangerous everyday outfielder. You've got Garrett Mitchell whose strikeout rate is high but who has hit the ball well in a very small sample size at the major league level. Where are you going to fit all these guys in? You've got Yelly out there, too. You're going to DH Yelly a little bit. But now if you have Gary Sanchez, feels likely that him or Contreras will do a lot of DHing, so that keeps Yelly in the outfield. How do you make that all work if you're the Brewers with all of this glut of outfielders they have? This would be a solution if you can use Sal Freelick a little bit on the infield. And if he performs well at third base, they're still looking for a third baseman. Tyler Black is one of their fastest rising prospects. He is a third baseman. He would project to be their everyday third baseman. He's a power hitter. I'm not sure where his defense is as of yet at the hot corner. It does not sound like he is going to be ready for the opening day roster, though. And maybe that's a spot where you have Reese Hoskins now at first base. You've got this legit bat at first base. You're trying to figure out how to keep all of these outfielders on the major league roster. And this would be a giant help if this is something Sal Freyla can do well and acquits well at third base and second base. Maybe not every day he'd be out there, or if he does play really well at third base and he's hitting, maybe he is a guy that this coming year would be somebody you'd install at third base quite a bit of the time. They're still searching for somebody over there. This would not only ease the pressure there, but it would also help solve some of the issues you have with the amount of outfielders, the young, talented outfielders you have sitting out there and just trying to find playing time for them. If Freela can perform well at second or third, what a help that would be for Pat Murphy and the crew in their first year as the head coaching staff for the Brewers this upcoming year. That was a curveball. I did not expect to read that on Saturday morning. He seemed to me, of all those guys, you know, Weimer with his hitting problems in those splits, I could see him being up and down. Even though the Garrett Mitchell numbers have been good at the major league level, he has a huge strikeout rate, which we know this team has a problem with anyway. And at some point, you would assume the more at-bats he gets at the major league level, the more that's going to crop up. I'm not hoping for that, but you would think, given the numbers he's had in college and the numbers he's had in the minor leagues, at some point, we're going to see those strikeout numbers spike at the major league level. He's not going to be hitting 300 with 20 home runs. Freelick, to me, seemed like the most likely guy to be an everyday outfielder. So I did not expect to hear about him learning an infield spot, but he was, and he was taking ground balls at third base on Saturday down at Maryville. With that said, that's where I'm going to be on Friday. It's been 10 years since my wife and I have been down to spring training, and we decided this was this was the time. Time to get down there again and check out the new digs at Maryville. If you've ever been down there, Maryvale, of all of the Cactus League cities where teams have built their parks, and there's a lot of shared parks where you've got four teams that share a park or two teams that share a park, Maryvale is one of those where, yeah, not in the best area in the world. I don't know if we're at a National Lampoon and roll them up, but it is not in the best area. And then you drive to all the other parks. We saw the Brewers play at other stadiums. We then, when the Brewers have an off day, we would go to other parks to watch other games. And they're in Scottsdale, and they're just these beautiful areas. The first game we went to was at Maryville, and we were there 10 years ago, and we had a good time. But then you go to the other cities, and you see the luxury out there and how much better the facilities were, the actual baseball facilities. You could see why in that era, in that 2014-2015 time frame, they were looking to either upgrade or move from where they were. 
They have upgraded the facilities. I've heard great things about them. I'm excited to check that out. I think they're called the AmFam Field Fields because everything is AmFam right now for the Brewers and everything in Milwaukee, the amphitheater. Everything's American family now. But we'll get a chance to check that out. We're going to start in Tucson. We're landing Friday afternoon. We're going to start in Tucson, as we maybe talked about on the podcast. We're trying to get to every national park. I don't know how realistic that goal is, but we're going to keep checking the boxes as long as we can. There is a national park in Tucson. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Is it burgeoning? It's Cigarro, I think, which is a word for cactus. This is a place you can hike, but there's a lot of cacti. We're going to check that out. That's about 90 minutes away from Phoenix and Maryvale. So we're going to spend two days there, do some hiking in the desert, go on a trip, literally and figuratively, (laughs) just go on a vision quest. And then on Sunday, we're headed back to Phoenix, and we'll check out some Brewers games. And I think they have a day off in there. We'll check out some other spring training games that day. But I will be soaking it in. Scheduled temperatures are between 75 and 80 for our time there, and we'll be off the entirety of next week. So here's what we're going to do in terms of the podcast. We've never really had an extended vacation since we've done this. I think, because we're flying out on Friday, I'm thinking we'll do a Thursday podcast, and that'll kind of lead into the second half of the NBA schedule, and we'll do a little maybe spring training prep. I don't know. It's not going to be a long podcast, but I think we will do a Thursday podcast this week just to make sure we get two in this week because next week we're not going to have a chance to do any. We will be off next week, so there will be no Monday or Friday podcast. We literally I don't have the means to do it. And I guess, I mean, I don't know, Could I, would, would my mic get confiscated? I'd need a mic and a laptop, and I don't want to know what that all entails. Even with our TSA pre-check, which as a side note is the most valuable thing you can buy in this world. If you are going to do any airline travel in the next, whatever it is, eight years, they expire. And ours is expiring this summer, but we can still use it for this trip. We did a big East Coast trip three or four years ago, and we signed up for TSA PreCheck, paid whatever fee that was. It is beyond measure, way beyond whatever we paid for it, what it's worth if you're going to be traveling in an airport. And ours does expire. I think it's in July or August of this year. Even with the green TSA PreCheck, I don't know, you know, how do you get a laptop and a microphone and all that stuff through, and I don't want to pack it anyway. So we are not going to be doing podcasts next week. We'll have a full week off next week. That's why I want to make sure we get one in at the end of this week. My guess is we'll have that up on Thursday around 1030 like we normally do. We'll have that up on Thursday kind of recapping whatever happened this week, getting set for the Bucks' second half, getting set. We can recap some college basketball and getting set for the spring training trip. I am very excited. That'll do it for us here today. I think we hit everything. Oh, we had golf as well. Who won the Genesis? And we've got Daytona today. We do have Denny Hamlin today. As we talked about on Friday's podcast, that was the text line pick. We are going with Denny Hamlin plus 1,200. Weather delayed the Daytona 500. They will have that, I think it's this afternoon at 3 o'clock if you want to check that out. On a President's Day Monday, who, where is my golf? Yesterday after we got back from our niece's birthday party, it was about noon, and we had a little lunch and turned on golf and just dozed off. And it was the first nap of the year. It was the first Sunday golf nap of the year. I did find myself really missing football yesterday, the first Sunday without football in forever. But that did help ease it. I was just sitting in the recliner, kind of in a little food coma. We had gotten up early to go to the birthday party, which we don't typically do on Sunday. So we're a little tired, and I just turned on golf, and Jim Nance lulled me into a nice light REM sleep on Sunday afternoon. Hideki Matsuyama won the won the Genesis with Luke List, who was leading when I fell asleep. He was he, he finished second at minus 14. Zalatorius minus 14. Matsuyama came out of nowhere at minus 17. Tiger withdrew from this. I think he had – I mean, this is – Reckless speculation. I think Tiger might have had a rumble in his tummy. I think he might have had a little diarrhea. <laughs> I don't know. 
There were pictures of Tiger eating In-N-Out on Thursday as that tournament opened, which, by the way, is trash. That's my official In-N-Out take. I When we had that for the first time, when we went to Utah a couple of years ago, all the hype that I've heard of In-N-Out, it was mediocre at best, and the fries are the worst fries that I have ever had at any fast food restaurant. He was eating some In-N-Out, and then about 12 hours later, there was an he withdrew and then there was an ambulance outside of his condo or the locker room, and somebody came out and said, he's not coming out with us. I think he I think he had a little food poisoning or something happened there. He had to withdraw. But it was the first Sunday golf nap, and it felt great. Uh, Matsuyama won that yesterday. All right, that'll do it for us here today. Have a happy, safe work week. We'll chat with you Thursday.